Hello, my name is Scott Cameron. This is the Joys of Teaching Literature. We're talking all things high school English, uh, teaching high school English, not just high school English, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, this year I think is a, a chat. Last year was obviously a huge challenge if you were teaching remote or back going back and forth where you're live streaming your classrooms and then all of a sudden you have two weeks at home and, you know, all these different schedules, you know, or sometimes working from home on Fridays and so a million things to adjust to. Um, I think that getting students to be excited about learning in general is difficult, but even, but definitely last year was really hard. Uh, I think this year we're, I feel like, I feel like my students are really excited to be there because they're finally not sitting behind a computer learning. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like they're just waking up from a really long nap. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of what we're talking about this for this episode is how to, how to, how to get them going and uh, how to get getting really excited. Actually, I've been thinking a lot about a lot of different ideas that I'm going to use um, to improve my classroom culture, especially with masks on. I, I've recently found that um, it's just hard to smile. It's hard to, for them to know that you're smiling and that you're happy with what they said. And this opens up a larger sort of idea of how can we you know, motivate students, reward them for, for good work with our compliments, obviously. Um, but a lot of the times that is like the, you know, how we feel, like, how, you know, our body language and how our faces sort of react to things. Now, maybe you're in a school district doesn't matter, doesn't have masks on, but I think it's worthy of thinking about how we inspire students um, in general. So anyway, that's kind of, we're talking about poetry this week. Um, that's how I always start my year because it's just easy. I get, you know, it gives them time to read. Um, we're reading Hamlet at home right now, but so it gives them time to read whatever novel that we'll study first, um, and we'll, I'll do a full unit. And it also helps me tackle all the different poetry is the most challenging. So if you can sort of get to the bottom of all the different techniques and why they're there, and deal with something really challenging right away, um, and you know also give them po poems that are easy. Um, and actually, the list that I have that I'll give you at the end contains both really challenging poems and then poems that are pretty straightforward. Um, that's, you know, good rule of thumb with equitable teaching. And that's also something I've been thinking about a lot lately, too, is how I can have all my students be successful. So I'm actually going to create um, another course, not just for English teachers, um, but for all teachers um, with some of these sort of techniques. And so obviously, English teachers, high school English teachers could, te you know, could take that course, online course. Um, but but really, I wanted to open it up to all teachers and, you know, sort of thinking about some of the, the really effective strategies to um, get students to be excited to, you know, for us to be excited to teach, but for them to be really, it's not, not just that they have to be there, um, but they really want to be there. And I think there's some moment in their, in their education where, it, you know, it was, it's really like my six-year-old daughter's in first grade. She's super, she's, she's actually really sad on the weekends. Um, she finds out she doesn't have school. Like she wakes, she woke up just this past um, Saturday and, and was like, oh, it's the weekend. <laughs> like, why are you upset? It's the weekend. We're going to run outside. And we're going to do all these, we're going to see your friends and we're going to go places. She's like, I don't have school. <laughs> like, all right. So how can we keep that going? Um, that, you know, childlike love of school going all the way through high school. Um, so anyway, that was a really long introduction. If you want to know more about me and my courses, what I have to offer, you can go to theteachersworkshop.com. 
Um, also, I would also, I'm going to start asking um, for people who are listening out there. <laughs> I haven't heard from many. I got one um, person review my podcast, but I do have a lot of people listening. So I'm just going to ask that, that people can leave me a review. Uh, just drop me a line and that would, I think, really help me, um, you know, find more more listeners. And um, so I'd really appreciate that if you could do that for me and leave me a review. Um, all right, so let's get into to so how so and when I say poetry, what I'm focusing on now is I actually have a kind of lengthy introduction to poetry because I have to cover you know the literary technique, all the literary techniques. I I picked like the most fifteen common literary techniques, um, and we do a word wall. I have a PowerPoint. There's a word wall. So and then I also will play p- poems uh, from. A lot of different, like slam poetry, uh, motionpoems.org, I think is the website. Uh, There's like these sort of short films with contemporary writers reading their poems. Uh, A bunch of different, like Poetry Out Loud is a program for high school kids. And then uh, Robert Pinsky has my my favorite poems. So there's different ways that I like to start with just listening to poetry first, because that's why I I want them to sort of think about how poetry was originally out loud and uh, something that's, you know, storytelling thing where people you know told these epic poems to large groups of people they had to memorize all the lines of the poem so it was a performance um and so that gets them right away to think about poetry a little bit differently um, but then once we get into the the actual study of poetry and on the page you know the more traditional kind of on the page poetry uh, i start with poems about poetry <laughs> this is on top of starting the year thinking about the value of literature and all the things that it can sort of do for our, for our lives, our behavior, our world, and how the power of the imagination and creating new worlds and getting us to, to think about, think critically about our history, our culture, uh, all the different sort of magical things that literature can do. That was a long, con- you know, I had all these different quotes that I cover. So that was a long conversation. And then on top of that, I, we kind of, go through some of the technical stuff, like I said, with the PowerPoints. And we even talk about, we actually do a personal narrative unit, a really short personal narrative unit where they tell a story about themselves. So storytelling is the sort of heart and soul of the first month or so of school, uh, especially because we're starting with poetry. Then once I do start with poetry, we kind of continue the conversation, but in the context of somebody else talking about the value of, of and the struggles that a poet, poet faces, uh, when they sit down to write a poem, so what is the response? What are the responsibilities of a poet? Uh, how do they see the world? How do they come to understand it and shape and craft it? And then and write poems about that process, about creating art and trying to, to get reality on the page and all the different uh, struggles that 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 come with that. And so continue. So that's it's just a <laughs> our kids have Netflix, they have TikTok, right? We not the list goes on. There's just so many different fit podcasts. <laughs> You're listening to one. Um, there's just so many other competing media that they that they encounter. That literature, we have to try to selling is the wrong word. We we were just talking about the philosophy of the of its power and how all these Netflix shows and these theater performances and, and movies and all these different things that they watch with video, their foundations with words, good plot line, good story, anything that's entertaining, even stuff that's on TikTok has an idea behind it. 
Uh, and comedy is actually one of the more really complicated literary forms there is. Satire is a fantastic way of getting people to think about how, what kind of world they live in. So when somebody's laughing at something on the internet, there's, there's something there that's usually a little bit more complicated uh, about what makes it funny or what makes it striking. We, don't, we can't even get into the idea of beauty. Right? When you look at something on the internet, it's sometimes because it's really beautiful or innocent. Animals doing different things or you know some flower that did something odd. Uh, I have, I'm in a Facebook group, uh, what's it called? Uh, Backyard Inspirations, I think. Uh, it's just, I really find it fascinating how people are like these backyard artists <laughs> who like imagine these spaces for their backyard and do all this work for it. So that's all a, bit, a really important part of literature. Um, and so I think talking about you know what that that this class the class that they're taking is not disconnected but very immersed in the real world is a really important philosoph and it's a fascinating philosoph philosophical conversation to begin with um, so i like to hang there for a little while in the beginning of the year and then obviously the rest of the year is the specifics right what's let's pick the best novels of all time and really get into it best short stories of all time right and so uh, that's so I, there's six poems that I'll do at the beginning of the poetry unit that are about poetry. They're poets writing about writing poetry. Uh, so in a way, it kind of continues that conversation. Um, so these questions really were are explored too, um, mainly by Baraka, T.S. Eliot, Mary Baraka, and, and William Wordsworth, who wrote these sort of famous essays, uh, one, you know, Tintern Abbey, Expressive Language, and um, Preface to Lyrical Ballads, Tradition and Individual Talent, I think is the other one. Um, what did I just say? Tintern Abbey? No, that's his poem. <laughs> but that, it's interesting because Preface to Lyrical Ballads, Tintern Abbey is the, is I think the, because, you know, if there were one poem to embody everything that he's saying in Preface to Lyrical Ballads about poetry being the spontaneous overflow of powerful feeling, yeah, that's the best example is Tintern Abbey. And actually, we don't study. I used to study Tintern Abbey and kind of do a, like a line by line analysis. There was one year I did a graphic organizer. We tried to pick out all the different topics going on in the poem and, and have quotes that, that corresponded to those topics like nature and language, love, all these different topics. Um, but the, recently, last couple of years, I'm just like, we just have to read this. And I think that's what he wanted. He just wanted us to read this. I don't think he really wanted us to, to pick it apart and try to figure it out. You, you can, the sneers of selfish men and, uh, you know, all, all the, the idea of retreat, like nature as this retreat from the uh, sort of hustle bustle and, and busyness of, of, of life. Um, but yeah, so that's, so that's kind of what we're doing is instead of reading those articles, I sometimes would have my students read those articles. Um, but I think just poetry is a much, much better way of just having a, a more natural conversation about the role of the poet and what they're what they're kind of there to do and all issues related to like power and you know capturing emotion how you capture emotion where you capture emotion its relation to memory and all these different things you know, poets are tasked with capturing the essence of a moment an idea or an emotion and then making it real to the reader despite the obstacles that could get in the way of creativity and imagination when they write they open themselves up to the criticism and ultimate disaster you know, a lack of interest from the audience. So that's, I think, the biggest, and, and students can relate to that. Think about that. You know, I, every year I have them write a poem at the end of the poetry unit. 
And it's like, this is the point. The point is not to write an essay, it's to write a poem. We, you just learned all these techniques, you, you've read poems for all these different people, these different topics, now you can, right? And, and so that's a really wonderful moment. Uh, you, know, you know, you have to articulate, you're taking this seriously, this is not all haikus and you know, how the Giants lost last weekend or whatever. Um, you know, I want you to take it seriously. And maybe, maybe there's a great poem that will come out of, but I've gotten really great poems just because of the seriousness that I, you know, this is not just something that's fun. I want you to take it seriously and, and write a really great poem. I want you to write something amazing, like blazing words, you know, like really get into it. Um, say the thing that you want to say. And so they kind of, you know, they're like, all right, yeah, let's, let's write a really good poem. And, um, but I think that's the ultimate fear why a lot of kids don't write poetry and don't create art and even just take risks in general. And that's where the, the, the poems that I'm going to tell you about later, they, they go into more realms than just poetry. They, if you're an you know, athlete, if you're a musician, if you're uh, creating a product for the first time, pitching the idea, or if you're a scientist, you're like, you know what, well, we should be doing things this way. You're developing a medical instrument or something, something that improves people's lives, people are going to think you're crazy, right? They're going to, people are, they're not very good at creating themselves, but they're excellent at criticizing new ideas because that means that we, the, the, the status quo is going to be challenged. Somehow the way we did it before was wrong and all the people that were responsible for, for the way it was before are now going to kind of you know, be things of the past. And so... I think that's a big part of the, ch the challenge with, with creating anything, not just poetry, but obviously that's what these poems are sort of dealing with, is what happens when the poem gets tucked away into a corner, into a v oblivion. It gets stashed under a couch or in an attic somewhere or in a journal that's just going to get recycled at some point. Um, you know, I, I use the example of Emily Dickinson and how she just wrote these poems that got tucked away for a long time and you know, even the opposite, Walt Whitman, who you know, revised and published again and published again and worked really hard to get his poetry out there. Uh, I think most students are, are just like, what's the point? Who's going to read this? Um, however, if a poet is successful and they have the ability to describe a place, and a place that might be large or small, a poem can, can represent the culture of a whole, of a whole country or the little things in, in, say, dining rooms and coffee shops that bring joy and pleasure. Um, so it sort of fluctuates between those two things. How the, can this poem about something really, really tiny be simple? That's in the nature of symbolism is that it's something that represents something larger. So poetry is a celebration of the little things of our lives, uh, the shuffling of a chair or the creaking of a floorboard or whatever. Uh, and, and how can the, how can a creak in the floor or a crack in the, you know, in, in the wood represent you know, how the someone's foundation is shifting or something like that, right? So um, it's, a, it's, it's making a story um, large and, and, and meaningful, just not just to the poet, but to everyone. And that's what great art does. Uh, you know, something like washing hair, you know, there's a poem we're going to cover in our unit was about washing hair. Um, that can represent something large, like like freedom or family, depending on the context of, of where that hair washing is taking place, right? Uh, every detail in a poem is a miracle. Some writers like Jack Kerouac take a few weeks to write a novel, and some poets like Elizabeth Bishop take years to write a poem. And and it's interesting, one of, a, one of the poems I'll give you is from Elizabeth Bishop, and 
she, um, I always kind of give a little bit of context with her because her writing feels very rough drafty for for lack of a better term. It feels like, did she finish this? <laughs> like, didn't she mean to go back and change this line? Cause it sounds like she's working something out in the poem and you're waiting for it to, to be more like a more formal, like aphorism, like this truthy thing. Um, but it's like a scrap of a thought that trails off. And sometimes she'll write it with parentheses or some ellipses. But those are the, those are the moments where I'm crushing my head. Like I have to figure this out. Um, she's trying to work her way around it. And so she, I think she wanted to, she deliberately tried to make it look unfinished, which I love about Elizabeth Bishop. So anyway, I can, I can keep going about Elizabeth Bishop because she's awesome. But uh, poetry in general challenges convention, right? At the same time, it challenges the status quo. It both embraces the poetry of the past and forges a new style to the individual personality and experiences of the writer. Using symbolic gestures, poetry encourages revolution and rebellion and asks us to demand better from everyone, not just from politicians, but from ourselves, uh, to not be satisfied with mediocrity. The politics and romance of poetry conjure up visions of places and relationships that, that actually work. Poetry takes hardship, grief, and suffering and transforms life into something we can manage and handle. It asks us to love each other better by embracing our differences. It asks us to imagine our national history, its mysteries, its injustices, its politics, its progress, and then asks us to imagine the country we'd like to live in. So what it was it before, and where do you want to live now and in the future? The poet must use both poetic language and the language of everyday conversation. This is really what where poetry is masterful, right? It's this kind of highly academic thing that's really confusing and it's hard to get to the bottom of it. It's loaded with metaphors um, and these confusing comparisons often, these similes that don't always, like Tracy K. Smith uses these similes that... It's not just like, hey, this looks like that. Isn't that fun? I, I helped you understand this better. But the simile is like sort of this explosive thing where you have to think about why it's it, one thing is like the other. Um, so we're constantly sort of having to reread all the time to get to the bottom of it. But at the same time, really great poetry also sounds like something that we would just hear somebody say in a when they're telling a story or they're in a conversation with somebody. And poetry is natural and authentic as much as it is this thing we have to really think about. And so, you know, think about the expression, oh, that was, that was poetry. Right? So people will say that sometimes when somebody says something, it's like, that was, that was poetic. Well, that's what they mean. They mean it's, it's really powerful, it's truth, truthful, um, but it's also something that, that's, that doesn't sound forced um, or, or problematic or difficult to to get to the bottom, too difficult to get to the bottom of. Um, you know, Walt Stevens kind of worked on that level where it, it made sense once you thought long enough and hard enough about it. And there were just things that were powerful. He just said things that were powerful, um, but you weren't always sure. <laughs> you weren't always sure what they were, but you could at least get the gist of them just enough to, to, to get that sort of understanding there. You're like kind of halfway there. And then again, you reread it, um, or you reread it even later, years later, 
uh, and it comes to, to take on a there, there's a little bit more clarity there, um, and you can you can think about your own experiences and bring those into it. Wallace Stevens is really interesting. Um, so yeah, they do both those things and, and they weave together um, assonance, personification, synecdoche, hyperbole, irony, consonance, metonymy, uh, alliteration, but all while sounding uh, pleasing to the ear. Uh, every great poem sounds fantastic out loud uh, on, and, and on paper forces the, the mind to do some mental gymnastics. So again, it's like how can you know, a great poet sounds great out loud? but also makes us think really hard when we're looking at it, visually looking at it. Uh, it's, it's simple and complicated at the same time. <laughs> I always tell my students, I'm pretty sure I hate, I love poetry for the reasons that you hate it. <laughs> Not that all of our students hate poetry, but you, you know, it's, just, it's a handful that really appreciate it. Um, I love when I have to think so hard that it hurts my brain. And I love how poets play with language as much as they can and juggle images around like balls. So we become mesmerized by the patterns they form. Poets take us in one direction and then we unexpectedly end so up somewhere else and have to figure out why we got there. Uh, a poem contains limitless possibilities and a whole universe to figure out. Great poems mean something different every time we read them. As our life changes, our experiences provide us with new interpretations of the same words. Uh, so here's my six poems. Um, and I think, I think the objective with these is that they'll get your students really, really excited about reading poetry because you're dealing with po poets that are grappling with these, these issues and, and some of the philosophical things they come up with, they can then apply to the, to the other poems that they read later in the unit. Um, so the first great one, I'm sure a lot of people know this one, is Introduction to Poetry by Billy Collins. He actually talks about teaching poetry in that. A Small Moment by Cornelius Eighty is great. Uh, links to all of these are, in case you're like wondering what they were later, if you go to my blog on theteachersworkshop.com, you'll be able to get links to all these poems. Um, but yeah, Small Moment is, that's really, Introduction to Poetry and Small Moment are really straightforward um, but we, I mean, we took 45 minutes to talk about a small moment. Like, it took a while. Um, even though it's kind of simple, we just had a lot to, to kind of talk about um, with it. Constantly Risking Absurdity by Florence Ferlinghetti is wonderful. Now, Ferlinghetti, I don't know if I'd recommend him in general. He's fun. But this poem is is very cohesive, and, and it's how the poet is, is risking absurdity and compares it to a, like an acrobat walking on a tightrope. Um, so that's a really, really fun one. And it's super, super, super play, playful with language. I mean, just so many awesome sounds bounce around in that poem. Visually, it's really exciting. Um, so that's a great, great one. I love doing that every year. Um, poem, it's called Poem. <laughs> that's the title of the poem by Elizabeth Bishop. Is also So now we're getting into more challenging... Um, and I do them in this order, too. Uh, this one's a little bit more challenging. She's comparing poetry, well, only really because of the title uh, does she compare this tiny little painting on the size of a dollar bill to um, the process of writing. Um, and so the process of painting and, and going back in, in a memory and painting a place and the, f the sense of the familiar and did I know this person and this feels personal to me and... Also, all those things about having insecurities about writing and am I capturing this correctly? 
um, is this going to be forgotten? Um, and also that space, there's a really, really fascinating moment in it where there's this sort of connection between the poet and the, and the audience. Um, so there's sort of examines the different layers of poetry as far as it being like, you know, an old experience and then the memory of an experience and then a, an attempt to recreate um, and get the, uh, the co- you know, even getting the colors right, like a painter would get the colors right. A writer has to pick the word that is the color. Right? And so it's, it's all about how we label things and how we, we sometimes don't get it right and how it doesn't always look clear, clearly, um, you know, or look clear to us. Uh, so that's a really great one. And then um, from an ex- explanation of America, a love of death, by Robert Pinsky is really challenging, but there's this juxtaposition that happens in it between a, a child and um, and these we'll call them farm. There's a couple of different char- characters, and it's farm workers, um, and uh, so yeah, it's it's that sort of child, sort of like this William Blake thing going on with chi- a child and then an adult, like song in Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. I think he was playing around with that a little. But in the poem, he keeps demanding that we imagine, like imagine this, imagine this. And so we're, we're trying to, to, like the title says, explain America. This poet is trying to explain America. So he's telling us to imagine it. Um, and then towards the end of the poem, he, he talks about imagine being a poet um, and, trying, and, and lurking in the shadows and trying to capture these realities that are so mysterious and hard to explain. And there's so much about America that's so elusive and and. Un- confusing and why did we do this why did that happen I got I get that question a lot uh, when we do things like Frederick Douglass or different you know Scarlet Letter and Puritans like right what why were people like that I don't know why was Cortez doing what he was doing you know and so it just kind of explain it's sort of poet again poem about poetry we're trying to trying to put all these pieces of a puzzle of reality together uh, and and it's 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 challenging, um, but that again, that's you kind of have to have this celebration in class of the challenging, and just say this is kind of the point: is that it's challenging. It's challenging to be a poet. Yeah, it's challenging to to get to explain America. Yeah, like that's what he was doing. You know, and and he's not trying to confuse you. He's just he's there in 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 and bouncing around the mystery of what it of what this country is. Um, so that's a really great one. And then um, All Their Stanzas Look Alike by Thomas Sayers Ellis. Uh, he, he was a professor of mine. He's fantastic. Again, poet that really plays around with the sounds. I mean, the sounds in this poem are just, it's unbelievable. And they don't, oh, this is this is exactly exactly what I was just talking about. The sounds of that poem, is n- they're not things that you necessarily even aware of the fact that they're happening when they're happening. He keeps carrying parts of words down from one line to the next. There, there'll be a sound somewhere, and then it'll be like in the beginning of one line, and then at the end, somewhere at the end of the other line. And you're like, oh yeah, that sound came out over there, and then, and then it'll happen in the next line. And so there's like all this repetition, and he'll take a you know series, serial, world, third world, world series. He'll drop these words down sometimes from line to line, um, and then visually, there's this anaphora that goes through the whole thing. All their stanzas, all, all their, all their, all their, the whole, the whole poem kind of repeats that. And then the poet at the end kind of, well, he's sort of, and all these poems have great tension. There's all these two different juxtaposed ideas or images. Uh, but in this one, it's the academic world with, with reality. And this, again, like, just like 
Pinsky was observing this kind of confusing reality of serial killers and killing fields and haloed holocausts and all these different really dark images. And you're trying to figure out like what, what's the connection between the education and the book learning and, and what, are, what, what, curri- what curriculum looks like, right? And who, who it looks like, right? Who is writing it and what do they look like? And what, what people are not represented in that, those, that, those look-alike poems. In this case, it's mostly literary sort of examples of academic jargon. Um, but it, I think it opens up the question of history and social sciences and um, just our understanding of reality in general sort of hinges on, on race. And uh, the poem sort of you know, looks at you know, the Supreme Court justice at the end, and that makes it political. And so you're like, oh, okay. So this is not just in education. Like, you're not feeling represented anywhere, really. One is not enough, you know. Uh, one black person is not enough, <laughs> right? One Supreme Court. Um, and so then the poem kind of comes to this. Really, it's, it's, it's a great, it's just a great last couple of lines. Um, there's a line, disproves my stereotypes. Stereotypes being two words. And so... Um, you just kind of—it's it, a great just question to ask the students what they think of the end and what is what is how is it both a one-word stereotype and a two-word stereotype like stereotype what is stereo how what do you mean of like the personification of a stereotyping like what does that mean um, and and what does that have to do with the rest of the, it's kind of this comical ending because you're like yeah this poem does it might look alike it might look like all the other poems but it does look alike in that the first line looks like the you know that anaphora all there all there. Um, makes it visually look alike <laughs> um so it, it's it's this kind of funny thing it's this it's this dark poem it's got this dark side to it um and yeah it's just it's just fantastic and it's it's talking about again there's the sort of even academic challenges of writing poetry that is that might not look alike uh, of, of taking some of the stylistic things from the past but but really you know letting your own individual stereo type out your poem um the sounds of your language the sounds of who you are typing out your poem right and so that's a really fantastic one so those are my those are my six poems to uh about well yeah six poems about poetry to start your poetry unit again just a quick reminder to to leave me a review i'd really appreciate that uh, so that i can reach more people thank you so much for listening